203 distinct different postings this week, and we cut off what we're going to talk about, the main stuff, the top 10 at number 11. What is a story that's right there but not quite there? Headline reads, Over Winfrey was surprised, that's in quotes, Meghan Markle went all the way there, also in quotes, with racism claims against the royal family. Fox News posted this, and the engagement for the day, it made the newsletter, it did make the newsletter this week, it was 4.77%, and we posted this for you to see on Saturday, the 24th of April. Now, we're not going deep into this. Of course, this is the cutoff, but basically, Oprah gave a little insight on what she thought about the interview she had with the Sussex 6666. That's, of course, Heron, uh, Harry and Megan. And oh, don't worry, there's a Harry and Megan story coming up. We don't we will have one there. We always get one there, apparently. But she went deeper into discussion on that one to go deeper into this interview and what we have for this one. Go to our website. This is a conversation dot com. Click the link for this week's podcast, which is for the week ending um, May the 1st, May the 1st, 2021. And you can see the links to every single story from one to two oh three that was posted this week. For the to be gathered to talk about. But we're only going to talk about what's the most important the things that you said were most important, the most conversational stories per your engagement with our social media coming up in mere moments here on the weekly wrap up with Jacob and Payne, week ending May the 1st, 2021. And welcome to the show, Jay Cleveland Payne. That's my name. The name of this podcast is Weekly Wrap-Up. It is a wrap-up of the week's worth of stories that you tell us were the most conversational as you engage with our social media. It's all a part of something called The Conversation Project, which lives online at thisisaconversation.com and on social media via Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Instagram doesn't get really much love, but on Facebook, search for This Is A Conversation on Twitter, TH underscore conversation, as you find us there. And as you find every 50 minutes or so, we post a brand new news story. We're looking for you to go beyond the headlines and engage with the story. Like it, love it, hate it, share it, talk about it, chat with it, uh, chat with me on it. The more engagement the story gets every single week, the more uh, higher the score gets at the end. On Fridays, we go from Friday about midnight to Friday about 4 or 5 a.m. with the timeline for capturing the stories. We put the stories from Facebook and Twitter into a spreadsheet and come up with an even total score. So we can go from top to bottom based on a full weightness of what's more important. Twitter always overweighs things, but it's just that's just how it is. That's how we get the listings from one to this week, 203. 203, we call it the very bottom story. We also call the almost relevant story of the week uh, because most of the times it's something that's posted very late on Thursday, early Friday, doesn't get any run. And that's the case for this week, more like normal. Uh, this is a story that actually got a lot more run than I thought it would. We were late in posting it, which may be the issue, posted on Thursday. We'll talk about that one, give you the details of that at the end of the show. We'll also, we'll give you the details on what we're trying to get back into being more conversational, be more engaging. Uh, this week, we had our first poll, instant conversational poll out there in a long time. This one went very, very well. We'll give you the details on that one. And it goes along with one of the stories we actually posted this week. So we'll tell you more about that as we get deeper into there. Now, of course, don't forget this podcast, this conversational uh, project is powered by you. If you want to help us out keeping things going, go to thisisaconversation.com slash partnerships. Find out ways you can partner up with us to help us keep things going or click on any ad you see in any of our products, which is either in the podcast here, which, you know, in the links you get to it, along with our newsletter and our website and inside the feeds as well. 
of course, as we said, we the numbers we get are coming from your interactions. So make sure you are following us on our social media one more time. It is TH underscore conversation on Twitter. And this is a conversation. Find us on Facebook. So let's go ahead and get into the countdown, the stories, the numbers and the words that go along with them. Starting with story at number 10. Headline for 10 this weekend. This is one that we got. I had a little conversation back and forth with the crew on how to do this. Uh, sometimes we have things called super stories where we combine two different headlines uh, based on them being similar and having uh, being essentially upgrades to the story. We have two stories dealing with the death of Andrew Brown Jr. in North Carolina, and we use up yet kept them as separate stories because they are separate to the stories. So instead of a super story, putting them all together for a higher ranking one. I'll talk about the two that aired today. This one is the first one you'll talk about at number 10, posted on Thursday, the 29th of April. This story gets a bump in response from the previous story, the number 11 story, the reason why we're talking about it and not that one, by 1.49%. That many more people engaged in it this week than the past story. Headline reads, Sheriff releases names of seven deputies on scene of Andrew Brown Jr.'s death. The source for this is NPR.org. Of course, it's all over the place. The date it made the eight things to talk about newsletter, it had an engagement of 13.72%. Here is what we clipped from the NPR article. A North Carolina sheriff has identified the seven deputies who were on the scene of last week's fatal shooting of Andrew Brown Jr. And subsequently placed on administrative leave, four of whom have been cleared to return to duty. Deputies shot and killed Brown, a 42-year-old black man, while carrying out a search warrant and arrest warrants at his home on Wednesday in Elizabeth City, North Carolina. The Pascatonk County Sheriff's Office said that Sheriff Tommy Wooten was releasing the names of the deputies on the scene as part of his promise of transparency and accountability. Wooten said in a statement that it's, quote, obvious from footage of the incident and preliminary investigation that four deputies did not fire their guns. The three deputies who did fire shots will stay on administrative leave pending investigations, he also said. They are Investigator Daniel Meads, Deputy Sheriff uh, 2 Robert Morgan, and Corporal Aaron Lavellen. Morgan and Meads have each been with the Sheriff's Office for more than five years, and Lavellen has served over two years. Two other officers resigned after the shooting incident. Deputy Sheriff 2 William Harris, and Lieutenant Christopher Terry, both of whom started at the force over 11 years ago. Deputy 3, James Flower, who's been with the, who's been with the sheriff's office since 2000, has decided to retire. Wooten, facing mounting pressure to release the body camera footage at the deadly shooting, said he has asked the state court to allow public release of the videos, which a judge on Wednesday postponed to at least 30 days. Superior Court Judge Jeff Foster ruled that turning over the footage to the public could threaten the safety of the deputies and interfere with the state's investigation. Now, we're going to reevaluate that whole thing right there. But as it stands right now, the body camera footage is not going to be released anytime soon, but sooner than they thought. As we talked about here on this program and just in general, all the incidents and accidents have gone on, including the recent incidents where all the body camera footages from these incidents are being released usually within hours, if not days, uh, a full day of, of time so that people are seeing what's going on and the public can sort of react to it and the, get a general sense of what's going on, what they're dealing with, has been turning into more of a precedent that North Carolina has to have a court order to allow what's going on because – as the judge says, it also protects the people being investigated from plenty of things. 
However, we will talk a bit about why some of this delays is happening and whether that's a good thing or bad thing. Like I said, two stories on the death of Andrew Brown Jr. this week. We'll get to another one in a moment. Let's move on to story at number nine. This headline reads, Ashley Kane's baby daughter, Azalea, has died following cancer treatment. Posted from MSN, the aggregated from there, I should say. And we posted on Sunday, the 25th of April, with a bump in response of 15.44% from the previous story. Engagement rate on the day it made it to the eight things to talk about newsletter, 5.16%. Let me quickly read from some of the posting that we had online. Ashley Kane has shared that his eight-month-old daughter, Azalea, has died. For months, the infant girl has been treated for a rare and aggressive form of leukemia, and on Sunday, Kanan's girlfriend, Savia Vorgi, announced the sad news. Last October, Kane, who also appeared on MTV's The Challenge, War of the Worlds, revealed that Azalea, born in August of 2020, had been diagnosed with a rare form of the childhood cancer. Azalea had childhood AML, also known as acute myeloid leukemia. According to the National Cancer Institute, the disease is a type of cancer in which the bone marrow makes too many abnormal white cells. Dr. Richard Alpleck, a physician scientist at a division of oncology at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, previously told today that myeloid leukemia is the second most common pre-dietric blood cancer and that in the United States, there are approximately 500 children a year between the ages of 0 and 14 who are diagnosed with AML. This year, after completing a course of treatment, Kane and Vorgi said were told that their little girl's pediatric cancer had returned. After exhausting all possible options, they have decided to take Alzilia home from the hospital to be with her family and give her, quote, the best rest of her life that we can give her, end quote there. We give our um, thoughts and prayers, which we, we hate to do all these times on, on the family there. Uh, Ashley Kane, a person I, once again, have no idea who this person is because it's on something I don't watch, real world Road Rules Challenge. I am well out of the diet. The um, I'm well out of the demo for that by many, many years, decades, if not. Uh, but this is something that we put these stories out there for you to tell me what are the most conversational for you to tell me what picks up uh, steam and what's what's important to talk about. This is one you thought was important to talk about. And the reasons why are beside the point. Um Childhood cancer is something that really is important to work, look into, work on, and make sure that we're doing our best to create peace for those who can't find a way to survive and ways for those who are working to survive to work a little bit harder and survive it. As a, a person married to a cancer survivor myself, I totally understand, you know, sometimes it is a toss of the dice. It is a dartboard to uh to, to, to choice, it is a just sort of a here or there where someone gets a good chance of survival versus someone getting essentially a death sentence at the being told of the diagnosis. This is one that, especially for a baby and a family dealing with such a young person dealing with such pain, is is definitely difficult. We are definitely putting out our thoughts to that family, and if there are any updates to the family, we will let you know. Now, going on a story that basically everybody talked about. In fact, this this story uh, sparked the question we had for this week in our very first in a long time uh, quick questions. And a quick question for those of you who missed out on that one is this. Will the Jacksonville Jaguars take Clemson quarterback Trevor Lawrence with the first pick to 2021 NFL draft? 
because sports is a big thing here in the conversation, big thing here in the states where most of the people responding are. So big deal, big question. And we give it out to you with the responses being, of course, nope, they got a swerve going on or the NFL is still a thing. We'll tell you later on on how this thing worked out and let you know who is the winner this week. We Yes, we are giving out money for these things. So winner this week of a $10 Amazon gift card uh, for this one. We'll, of course, let him know on his own. But if you want to know who won and you're not him, not that that's saying who it was, you'll find out a bit later in the show for today. But why is that important now? Because the number eight story this week per you is Trevor Lawrence goes to Jacksonville Jaguars with number one pick in 2021 draft. There you go. The New York Post is where we posted our version of it because it came out pretty quickly. We want to make sure that it was put there pretty much as it was happening. Engagement the day after, the day after it was posted, and of course in the newsletter, 17.56% on the day. The bump in response from the story previous is 10.83%, and of course it happened on Thursday the 29th of April. So here is the deal from what happened. The Jaguars star-studded pairing of Trevor Lawrence and Urban Meyer is finally official. It's been presumed since the end of 2018's college football season when Lawrence quarterback Clemson to a national title as a true freshman that he would be the number one pick in the 2021 NFL Draft, his first year of eligibility. It's been known since December 27, 2020, when Jacksonville clinched the NFL's worst record where Lawrence was headed. Two long roads intersected Thursday in Cleveland with the formality of NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell announcing Lawrence as the first pick in the first round. Lawrence is held in the same regard as John Elway, Peyton Manning, and Andrew Luck as can't-miss quarterback prospects for the past 40 years. Elway and Manning won two Super Bowls each, and Luck was on an upward trajectory before injuries forced him to early retirement. After years of rebuffing interest from the NFL, including the Browns and its home state of Ohio, Meyer finally bit at the chance to come out of retirement. But the lure was bigger than a monster contract and a chance to return to an area where he was renowned for winning two national titles as a coach of the University of Florida. It was an opportunity to coach Lawrence, who Meyer gushed over in his role as a Fox Sports analyst for college football. So there you have it. Happy endings. Well, happy beginnings uh trevor lawrence the number one pick this year urban meyer who has his has his uh well controversies in his background and the jacksonville jaguars who are a very very popular team but have been going through their issues for quite some time including being very very awful for much longer than they should have lately due to bad coaches and bad management we'll see how much it takes to turn this thing around if it does turn around if any of these people become busts, and of course, we'll be letting you know what issues pop up, then you let me know which ones we're talking about. We're sticking to sports or sports entertainment to be exact with a story that I didn't think many people would get onto, but apparently it just was one of those weekends and that's what you guys are looking into. And this was a big deal. Now, we'll tell you a bit more of the backstory on this one. Well, it actually is written into here, but here's your headline and then you, I'll explain to you why it basically came into to play. Mark Carreno, McCarreno accused of stealing WWE championship belts. Apologies for the bad read today. Sunday, the 25th of April's day, we posted this with a bump of response of 6.90% over the number eight story. Why it's number seven. We pulled this from WrestlingNews.co. This was uh, something that bounced around back and forth, and it's actually a continuation of bad things Carrero has been doing. 
Engagement the day it made the eight things to talk about newsletter was 5.51%. Mark Carrero has been in the headlines since this past Thursday and is now being accused of stealing belts from WWE. These allegations were made by Deborah Simmons, the apparent ex-girlfriend of Carrero. On Twitter, she claimed that he would steal the titles and then put them under his bed. She also made other claims. Since her tweets are mostly private for Twitter, fans picked up on her allegations after Nick Dinsmore, better known to WWE fans as Eugene, reacted to the tweets. Carano had been fired by WWE after the trash bag incident with Mickey James. He was working in the talent relations department of the company. Now, the reason why sources matter and, and actually journalism matters is because this was posted on a wrestling news blog. And so a lot of the stories are essentially updates to updates to updates. So there's a lot of assumptions that go together in what's going on. The trash bag incident happened where a few weeks back, uh, many WWE uh, many WWE wrestlers were released from their contracts. And Mickey James, a longstanding good person and longstanding basically respected person in the locker room, put out a tweet showing that her stuff was returned to her. She hadn't been on TV for a while, so she was at home, not in Florida where they're taping. And the stuff was returned to her in the mail in a trash bag. They basically emptied her locker, threw it on a trash bag, put it in a box, and mailed it to her. From there, there were plenty of tweets and plenty of responses from various other wrestlers for decades past uh, saying that's essentially how they were given the outs as well. Well, you can't blame uh, uh, Carino for decades, but you can blame him for right now just being really a jerk about stuff. Apparently, he's a jerk about more stuff as well because the ex-girlfriend says he's stealing championship belts. No one from WWE or anyone else has confirmed that this was an issue, but maybe this was part of the issue that got him completely fired on top of just being rude to talent. We may never know. I'm surprised many people cared that much. But you make the choices of what we talk about, and you chose that story at number seven. At number six, a story that popped up quickly and really uh, skyrocketed to the engagement on the moment. On the day it went into the newsletter, engagement was 11.90%. We pulled it from Minnesota.cbslocal.com, so it was local to them, local state there. And it was something that trended pretty quickly for a while, but uh did catch a lot of kind of long term to keep it engaged. In fact, this is the top rated Facebook story of the week, which is surprising. Things are quick trending to that. But it was able to keep the story push bolted up just a couple notches because of his Facebook responses to the number six story. Bumper response from the number seven is eleven point two nine percent. Monday, the 26th of April, we posted it. So also when it happened. Headline is student in custody after reports of shots fired at Minneapolis Middle School. All students safe. Very quickly from the story that we had, more than 700 students at Plymouth Middle School were put into lockdown Monday after a student fired multiple gunshots into a hallway ceiling. Dr. Steger Barrage, superintendent of Robbinsdale Area Schools, says it happened at about 8.45 a.m. in a hallway outside of a bathroom and, quote, a few kids witnessed it. No one was hurt and the student was taken into custody. A weapon was also recovered. A source at the district tells WCCO, that's a local news, uh, news station, that assistant principal Kim Royston will disarm the student. The former University of Minnesota football player shouted at the child to put the gun down. He dropped it and Royston subdued him. Dr. Burbage says the school resource officer didn't help secure the school. All done. 
No real harm, no serious file going forward, no updates to the story. This is one that we hope that the kid gets a very good job of whatever he needs to recover from this, whatever counseling to fix this. And if any kids are, of course, stressed out by the incident, uh, we hope they get the cocking to they need as well. We are we are in having a, a barrage of these types of incidents uh, all over the nation, some in regular random places, random people, some in some school districts. And we should it shouldn't be that way. This is not the moment we're going to do the gun debate, but this is the moment we're going to talk about the time to bring the temperature down for all of us and check ourselves in general. You know, somebody's stressed out, check on them. If you know somebody who's having issues, check on them. You know somebody who's just not quite there, check on them because we need less incidents like this. And if we're going to have them more that in mostly peacefully like this one right here. Now, as I said earlier, this podcast, this project is sponsored by you. There's many ways that you can help us out by being a part of the project and keeping it going, keeping it alive, keeping it growing. The biggest way you're doing it right now by listening to this podcast, but make sure you're contributing by downloading the podcast from basically anywhere you can find the podcast. If you can't find us, go to the website, thisistheconversation.com, and click on the link for the podcast, and you can find where to download the podcast, all the different various podcatchers, and a couple new ones that have popped up that we need to get some updating. We knew there, but basically search for a weekly wrap up with Jay Cleveland Payne and you will find us wherever it, we can be found. There's also the eight things to talk about newsletter. I brought it up a couple of times and what that is Monday through Friday. It's a newsletter that gives you eight things. Now that we're all going back, more or less going back to real work, essentially water cooler topics that happened in the last 24, 36 hours on the rest of the days. For the Monday edition, it's from the weekend, Friday to all the way to Monday morning. Things that happen that are interesting to talk about, interesting to know, and interesting to kind of look for as stories will continue to develop throughout the day and up until the weekend. They also give you a good idea of what stories are trending high enough, what stories you are saying are important enough to end up here in the newsletter. Essentially, 90% of all the stories end up in the newsletter, end up in the newsletter are on this thing. The anomalies come up. We've been telling you those because it's interesting how some things grow. But you can check out the newsletter by going to thisisconversation.com and clicking for the newsletter as well. Uh, you can also just follow us in the feed. We'll have links to things going in there as well to keep up with that. And if you would like to, if it works for you, click on any of the advertisements you see inside of those feeds, inside of the newsletter on the website. Those advertisements are affiliate links that allow you to shop for places and people and things, maybe not people, but things that are going to not do anything but make you happy. And they're going to make us happy by giving us a slight cut of that buy. It costs you nothing extra to buy from them, but we get a bit of referral. So we appreciate that. So check out our newsletter, check out our feeds, check out our website, and you can see all the advertisers that are there. If one of them is going to offer something that's great for you, use our link to buy from them and we get a little bit there. And that's a great way you can help support us without having to pay anything extra. You can also go to this is the conversation.com slash partnerships and directly support us if you're up for that. But the most important thing is subscribe to the newsletter, subscribe to the podcast, keep checking the feed and keep giving us the work that we need to be doing. At number five, another another very sad story. This headline Former Kentucky Wildcats guards Terrence Clark, 19, dies following car accident. 
ESPN.com is the place we got this from. Engagement in the newsletter this week, 7.86%. It gets a bump in response from the number six story of 7.25%, posted on Friday the 23rd of April. So this one lasted the whole week to make into the top 10 in the number four and number five spot this week. From ESPN.com, Terrence Clark, a freshman guard for the Kentucky Wildcats men's basketball team this past season, died following a car accident in Los Angeles on Thursday. It was announced. Clark was 19 years old. Los Angeles Police Department Sergeant John Matassa, who works in the Valley Traffic Division, told ESPN's Ramona Shelburne that Clark was a solo occupant in a vehicle that ran a red light going, quote, at a very high rate of speed, unquote, in the San Fernando Valley area of Los Angeles at approximately 2.10 p.m. Pacific time. Quotes from Matassa. The incident was captured on Savannah's video. He collided with another vehicle that was preparing to make a left-hand turn. He struck the vehicle, hit a street light pole, and ultimately hit a block wall. He was transported to Northridge Hospital and was later pronounced deceased as a result of the collision. Matassa also said the driver of the other vehicle, who was in a truck, did not claim any injuries and that Clark was driving a 2021 Hyundai Genesis and that he was not wearing his seatbelt properly, according to Matassa. So safety features are important. Uh, Obviously, rate of speed important. Obviously, still the incident has happened. This is one that you guys were very engaged in, and we want to give our thoughts and to the families involved in this incident. And of course, the people from Kentucky, the, the young man was a wildcat young man played for the team. So those folks, the fans there are going to claim some love for him as well. So thoughts going out to the family, the basketball family, the true family and the extended sports family of Terrence Clark dying at 19 years old of a car accident. Let's move on to the story now at number four. As we said, we're going to return to incident with Andrew Brown Jr. and the shooting. This is one that was uh, this is one that really sort of started the ball rolling on the outrage that is the incident. Now, beyond the fact that the incident happened, this is one that got a lot of people riled up very early this week. And it's something that that's going that basically led to the previous story we had. And the officers being named with some of them actually resigning and stepping away from the work. But we're going to deal with this for a bit. Let me give you the details of the story and then go a bit deeper into the story from from there. At number four, body cam video of Andrew Brown shooting will be redacted before shown to family. Monday, the 26th of April today, we posted this with a bump in response from of nine point four six percent from the story at number five. This source is abcnews.go.com, 14.01% the day it was posted into the eight things to talk about newsletter. The family of a 42-year-old black man who died in a hail of bullets fired by North Carolina Sheriff's deputies outside his home last week said on Monday that body camera video shows their loved one being executed. The family members of Andrew Brown Jr., a father of seven, and their attorney said county officials only offered them 20-second clips of the one police body camera video. The footage they saw showed multiple sheriff's deputies, some aimed with high-caliber rifles, unleashing a fuselage into Brown's car while his hands were firmly gripped on the steering wheel. Family had planned to see the video at 11.30 a.m. Eastern Time, but an hour before the meeting, they were informed of an unexpected delay. Harry Daniels, one of the lawyers for the Brown family, said he received an email at 10.29 a.m. on Monday 
from Pasquaquan County Attorney Michael Cox that redactions were being made to the video. The family members were allowed into the sheriff's department just after 3 p.m., but officials refused to let most of their attorneys watch the video with them because they are not members of the North Carolina Bar Association. Elizabeth City Attorney Chantel Chantel Sherry Lassiter was eventually allowed to watch the footage with Brown's relatives. One of the family's out-of-state attorneys, Bakari Sellers, claimed that he and other lawyers protested and demanded be allowed to watch the video. Cox allegedly berated him and told him, quote, I am not going to be effing bullied, unquote. So this is a big time, big time story gathering a lot of attention. A lot of people are in on this. Uh, Bakari Sellers, obviously not a local attorney, uh, but uh, because he is an attorney of the, that, that ilk, uh, stepping into it, uh, stepping into this to help the family through along, along these kind of cases. I mean, Benjamin Crump can't actually handle all of these cases, to be honest. He may seem like he's everywhere, but he's not the only attorney doing these things. But what we have here are out-of-state attorneys that were barred for maybe a good reason because they're not they're not uh, they're not actually uh, under the bar to litigate there in that state. Uh, but the rest of the whole ordeal has been essentially shenanigans. The sheriff's county department said they wanted to release the body cam video, but they're waiting for the court order, so they can't do that. That's fine. But when they got a chance to show the families some of the video, they stalled. Then they said they had to redact it to blur out the faces of the officers to keep to keep them out of the way for the investigation, which is something that people have said is highly unusual. They only showed them 20 seconds of the video, which basically started 10 seconds prior, which they believe meant they basically rolled up guns blazing, ready to start shooting as the whole incident was happening in real time. This answers no questions brings up a whole lot of other questions that need answers and just looks terrible for everyone involved. This is, of course, one that will be dealt with more along the lines down the way. So as we get more stories, we will put them in the feed. You will let me know how well they are engaging. I'm sure they'll be fairly engaging and whereabouts they will land inside a story. This week, two stories related to this uh, at number four and number 10. We'll see where the other stories lie going forward. Let's keep going. And story at number three. This one, as I promised, an actual Harry and Meghan story that deals with Harry and Meghan and not Oprah talking about Harry and Meghan. But it's other people talking about Harry and Meghan. It's musicians. Headline, musicians fume over Meghan Markle and Prince Harry's $25 million Spotify deal. We pulled this from the Royal Observer, which observes royals. It got a 23.28% engagement the day it made it to the newsletter. And the actual story headline posted on Tuesday, the 27th of April, gets a bump in response from the number four of 4.35%. Here is some details on why the Sussexes are being hailed as cheaters in the world of making money online because the people trying to make money online are being cheated out of it. Here's what we got. The Sussex currently produce and host podcasts for the streaming service, which made musical artists upset since they are being paid less than a penny per stream. Apologies to all for the very poor reading today, but I will try to continue. In April 2021, the Musicians Union, which is based in the UK, signed a letter addressed to UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson calling on him to fix the streaming rules so that musical artists can get paid more money in the future. Musicians, including Paul McCartney, Chris Martin, Stevie Nicks, and more, want to, quote, put the value of music back where it belongs in the hands of the music makers, unquote. 
The letter says that the law has, quote, not kept up with the pace of technological change. And as a result, performers and songwriters do not enjoy the same protections they did in radio, unquote. And it also proposes the idea that it won't cost the taxpayer a penny, but will put more money in the pockets of UK taxpayers and raise revenues for public services like the NHS. It's not an internal quote series, so bear with me. Some artists even called out Megan and Harry's deal with the streaming service. Here's a quote from that one. I believe what Spotify has done is unethical. We are being paid 0.0038 pounds, about a half a cent per stream, but they are able to pay out what is probably a multi-million dollar fee to Harry and Meghan. Artist Harrison Rees told the Daily Star about the famous couple's income. In reality, who wouldn't want to accept that sort of money to have the podcast broadcast and is likely to be a positive thing for the listeners as the Sussex, I can't say that word, definitely are going are doing a lot of good with their projects around the world. Reese continued, but the last year has been the most difficult one for musicians where many have had the majority of their income loss. So I feel like it's a kick in the teeth. And that's a good, good point. Uh, Spotify also in sort of some hot water on, on paying Joe Rogan a lot of money. And then Joe Rogan saying the, the same stupid stuff that got him his audience, but um, is not essentially made for primetime stuff. Uh, is doing what they can to bring people in. Spotify's job is to bring in listeners. And if people are listening to Harry Megan, paying them a little bit or a lot bit based on their need for cash these days is a pretty good thing. But the issues that stands for quite some time with musicians and streaming services, they're not getting paid very much. Uh, that dollar amount or that pound amount is, is basically uh, more or less in line with what we know for, for real music here. They're getting paid about a third of a penny in actual dollars, more or less a third to a fifth of a penny. And so with that little bit, um, it's 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 pretty ridiculous for a stream for music that isn't owned by anyone but licensed on triple licensing deals. And the only people making any money off this is the people using streaming services, the publishers, the musicians, the owners. They don't get very much out of these these days because it's not a straight-up sale, and that's how they get around it. If you want to complain more about things like this, email me at theconversationinbox at gmail.com, or if you think this is good and you're glad Harry and Megan are getting big money, and, of course, glad we have a Harry and Megan story this week, email me there as well, and we can chat offline on these stories. At number two, another story that I posted that was trending a bit, and I so I took a shot at it, and you guys really got into it. This story, headline, Jersey Shore star Ronnie Ortiz Magro arrested on domestic violence allegations. You guys love you some Jersey Shore, so we put some in there. You guys put it to almost the top. Friday, the 23rd of April was posted. 23.62% bump in response from number three story, so it not only stuck around a long time, but it was a pretty massive act on its own. We pulled the I or pulled the actual story from Hollywood Reporter. Eleven point one is the engagement rate it had the day it made the newsletter. Here is a very little bit about the deal because it wasn't very much of a story. But this is what we know: Ortiz Magro, thirty-five, was arrested in the Coastal Playa de Rey section of Los Angeles. Say that a little better next time. LAPD officer William Cooper said. Police said Ortiz Margro was arrested on suspicion of violating a California law covering violence against intimate partners. No other details on the person was given. Ortiz Margro's attorney, Scott E. Lehman and Leonard Levine, said they have just learned of the new allegation and need time to investigate before they can comment. 
Ortiz Magro was previously arrested on suspicion of domestic violence in 2019. Last year, he pleaded no contest to domestic battery and resisting arrest. He remains on probation from that case. So not very much was posted on this. Not very much is has come about as any sort of update, even though this is a story that's well over seven days old. But when we posted it, it was there and we thought it was a day or so old when we actually posted it. So it was just maybe it was tail end of the actual rise of the story that made it a big deal. But you guys made it a really big deal all the way to the number two story of the week. So congratulations for that. If if that word actually matters in this case. All right. So now we get to the story at number one. Number one is a story we give a lot of fanfare to because it earned this right. And it's earned this right big time. We tell you that Twitter is the thing that runs the show here. We'll explain more about that as we wrap up and give you the numbers of how things got here. But this was the number one Twitter story by leaps and bounds this week. Twitter responded to this one quickly, as was pretty much seen for people watching the action on Twitter on the day, Monday, the 26th of April. Uh, it got a bumper response from the story at number two. So it's more responsive than the story for the Jersey Shore domestic violence arrest by 268.15%. Story at number 10, to give some contrast, the story where the sheriffs released the seven names of deputies who were involved in the shooting of Andrew Brown Jr., the bump in response from that story, 750%. And for full context, the story we call the Almost Relevant Story of the Week, story 203 this week, and we'll give you that story at the end of the show, it was more responsive than that story by 23,020%. That's how many more people were engaged in this story at number one, than the story at number 203. And as a person who gets very upset at this person every time I see him on TV, it was engaging to me as well. The source was The Guardian, which apparently has a bead on all things American when it comes to outrage and politics, and this is both, with engagement the day it made it into the newsletter of 36.75%. Yes, this was the most engaging by leaps and bounds of everything that went on. We'll tell you the full engagement in a bit, been a bit, but here's your headline and here's the readout and here's some commentary coming after that. CNN urged to fire Rick Santorum after racist comments on Native Americans. The former U.S. Senator and CNN political commentator Rick Santorum has sparked outrage among Native Americans and prompted calls for his dismissal by telling a right-wing students conference that European colonists who came to America, quote, Birth a nation from nothing. Here is a bit more of the full quote. There was nothing here. I mean, yes, we have Native Americans, but candidly, there isn't much Native American culture in American culture. Centurum told the ultra-conservative Young America's Foundation Summit, entitled Standing Up for Faith and Freedom, and shared by the group on YouTube, which is usually where these things come to problems. More words, bad words from Centurum. We came here and created a blank state. We birthed a nation from nothing, he said, effectively dismissing the millennial-long presence of Native Americans and the genocide inflicted on them as Christian settlers transformed the expanded and expanded their colonies into the United States of America, angered many within the Native American community and beyond. The erasure of Native American histories and peoples which existed before and survived in spite of white supremacist empires is a foundational sin of a make-believe nation. An activist, Nick Estes, a citizen of the Lower Brula Sioux tribe and host of the Red Nation podcast, said on Twitter. Now, a bit of commentary, and this is commentary from Jay Cleveland Payne, so the words you're about to hear on this come solely from me. 
and no one else, not anyone else in the group, not anyone else attached to the podcast, just my words as I say here. Rick Santorum is a joke. I can respect a man for earning his rank as a senator, for being a chance to run for a higher office and losing badly, and of course, being a CNN contributor, which I would love to be myself and have a chance to say my say and my point of view and speak for large groups of people who don't need to speak for me on television. But the people he speaks for, the large groups of people that he actually says the words for, are apparently ignorant morons because the words he says are ignorant and moronic and don't make any sense and are pretty much just inflammatory at every given point in time. Every time he seems to pop up on CNN, at least in the last couple of months, not been there lately, they've changed the way they've done stuff because the crossfire way of doing stuff doesn't really work these days. He tends to try to equate something that's a really deep, trended, red conservative value that doesn't necessarily matter to the mainstream of anything to whatever's going on. He equated Black Lives Matter and the mattering of people in general and their lives mattering to abortion and babies' lives matter, which they do, but isn't the same conversation and isn't and no reason to be brought up in any conversations. But he's done it multiple times when he's brought in to argue and apart on a Black Lives Matter thing or a now a lot of these police shootings. And he's brought up the deaths of babies, unborn babies as blah, 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 blah. And it gets ridiculous. It's something he does all the time, along with just equating far-fetched things that don't make any sense and saying really stupid stuff like white people showed up and made this thing happen, which for American culture, if you want to call it that, white people came in and made the American culture. But saying that if Americans were here and didn't do very much, well, they weren't lucky enough to discover clipper ships and gunpowder and whiskey. So you know what? They had a slight disadvantage in the, in the trading there. I mean, you came in with a bit more and then just overtook what they had. That doesn't mean you brought in great culture. That means you wiped out a culture that was there. And I say we or they or whatever in the larger sense. I don't think Rick Santorum uh, has any right for that because I believe his parents are actual immigrants. So as part of the white culture that built America, technically he's not a part of it. But um, like I said, these words come from me and no one else. So Rick Santorum, who's not been on TV much lately except for for election coverage, big election coverage, uh, doesn't have a role to speak. Now, granted, uh, we live in a world where people get infinite chances if they get a chance to uh, redeem themselves. And many people get infinite chances to redeem themselves even when they don't earn it. Rick Santorum's, um, you know, well beyond that, that limit of what he should be given a chance to redeem at this point. I think Rick Santorum needs to go. That's not just me being a hater wanting to be a CNN commentator. That's just me being a person just living the day. The fact that you add any demographic you want to make gives me bigger reasons to not like the person speaking these words. But this is just stupid talk. Uh, it's being spoken to, let's call them privileged people who believe that because they own a privilege, they have a right to sort of you know meander in this fake reality, this this, this Neverland, Disneyland, this distinct world that that nobody lives in fantasy land fantasy world that we live in apologies this is off the cuff this isn't written so there we go so for this story i have to agree wholeheartedly and wish i could do more to get rick santorum off my tv and off the speaking circuit unfortunately when you take people off tv off of high profile spots like this it usually makes them a bigger deal 
in the speaking circuits for the fringe people who are willing to pay to keep up the people because it sticks it to the man, as the case may be. My thoughts on Rick Tantorum, agree, disagree, want to commiserate or continue, email the conversation inbox at gmail.com and we will have the discussion going further, going deeper. I believe that this is one that you didn't necessarily love and like to bring it up this high, but hate it and just had aggression to uh, Rick Santorum saying that Native Americans didn't do too much with what they had going on. So we showed up as white people and made this thing better. Yeah, I can see where a lot of people would be a bit upset and think Rick Santorum needs to lose a job and some stature for saying stupid stuff like that. So if you want to be a person that says less stupid stuff like that, I implore you to check out Blinkist. Blinkist is an app that allows you to get caught up on over 4,000 nonfiction books and growing. As new nonfiction books are written, they are brought into the system for you to enjoy in this app. Now, what Blinkist does is it boils down all the main parts of these great books into what they call Blinks, small little bite-sized pieces that in the total, you can take in a full book, which will be broken down into maybe eight to 15 different blinks based on how many points are there. And you can either read it or listen to it in audio form in 15 minutes. You can take in the full point of every single great book, books out there such as Freakonomics, things like The 4-Hour Work Week, And those are just classic ones that have been out there for forever. Newer books, as they're written, you can read the, the autobiographies of Barack Obama and Michelle Obama, they were released pretty quickly into the blink world and get them all. Then, of course, Barack Obama's book is like it's like eight inches thick. So you can get all that there. Uh, the books from Jensen Ciro, who wrote oh, You Are a Badass, get that down. And instead of having to read the whole thing or listen to the four hour audio, you can read it and listen to it in 15 minutes using Blinkist. And they keep adding to the inventory every single week. Now, they also have uh, contacts where you can just go ahead and buy the book through Blinkist if you want to get the full book from there. And they also have shortcasts, which are very short podcasts, podcasts under 15 minutes that will give you the same thing the books do. They digest sometimes extremely complicated ideas into about 15 minutes for you to take in. We have a great deal for you to get the free trial of the full app by going to thisisaconversation.com slash Blinkist. This is a conversation.com slash Blinkist. Check it out. It is the app that keeps me sane. It allows me to read at least seven books a week, at least one book a day because I get them through Blinkist. Most days I can double that based on my time and things a lot. Every night I before I go to bed, I listen to at least one book on Blinkist. And so I get a chance to go into stuff. Yes, I listen to some books over and over again because that's how life goes. But I get a chance to say I can read a book a day. Honestly, say that using Blinkist. If leaders are readers, then you can get your reading in by using this app. Go to thisisaconversation.com slash Blinkist for your free trial of the full version of the app and see all the great features and all the great books you have access to by one little powerful app called Blinkist. Before we get into our stats and tell you about our almost revenue story of the day, let's talk about what we did that was new and cool this week or newish and cool. We put out one, just one, and we'll do more multiple ones going forward. But we had great success with a conversation quick survey. And this happened to happen the night of the NFL draft or the day of. We asked you guys what you thought. Will the Jacksonville Jaguars take cleansing quarterback Trevor Lawrence with the first pick 2021 NFL draft? With 75% saying, of course they will, which they did. 19% of you said, nope, they got a swerve coming, as in they were going to do something different. 
But destiny, basically, as we said in the story we read about this, was going to happen as it did. And only 7% answered the question as is the NFL, is that still a thing? Meaning they didn't necessarily care. We're glad for that. And because of that, we were allowed to um, do a mass add-in to people who are getting into the eight things to talk about newsletter. So a lot of people join a newsletter as well. A lot of response to people into that. And so I'm loving that as well. If you want to get under the newsletter, you go to this is a conversation.com and click on the link for the newsletter. And also congratulations to will from Miami, Florida. Yes. We offered up a $10 Amazon gift card for one person who answered this question. And he, of course answered. Yes, of course, because he was on the right side of history. Congratulations to Will. We will send him his information for his gift in a few days. And um, if you want to get in on the winnings, just look out on our feeds for this conference. This is a conversation and you will find every so often a conversation quick survey. We're hoping to get to a daily thing and to see how many people we can get into that. We'll see how that works out. But you're in is to just follow us on Facebook. This is the conversation on Facebook, Twitter, TH underscore conversation, or go to our website. We have a, a module that tells you the top five of the current five things being posted at that time on Twitter, the current five things being posted in general. You can see what's going on and get caught up there if you're not following us on our feed. Now, quickly, the numbers of the week. As we told you, the CNN story of the story on CNN may be dropping Rick Santorum. Uh, was the biggest story for Twitter this week as normal. Because it was such a large hit, the engagement from that one story was 14.33%. Nothing totally unusual, but still higher than normal 9 to 8% that's usually there. Because of that, the top 10 this week in range is 37.79%. The top 10 stories took up 37, almost 40% of the engagement this week. The almost rands, which start with the story at number 11, which we teased on Open Winfrey talking about Meghan Markle and Harry, and going down to 15, this just basically gives you some context and stories that were close, but not quite close enough. Those stories gave us 6.47%, basically in range of where they normally are for the times. The story at the bottom, 203 this week, is a little high for the norm. The average was running about 0.03%. Today, it's 006 And so we may have to kind of check that average again to see how things are going. But it's it's pretty low in general, although the it's high because it's it's that less of a percent if that really counts for anything twitter this week 95 94% of the engagement 93.59 to be exact while facebook was 6.41% uh, so as we say the twitter engagement rules the world the engagement for the rick santorum story was in, was was incredibly outlandishly large and so that's what's there but not quite super incredibly outlandishly large cuz we had some of those in the past couple of months so let's get to the story at number 203. The New York Post is where we sourced it, but it was all over the place as well. This was actually a pretty big story in a lot of outlets. It just didn't make the big ranking for you guys here. The headline reads, Jeopardy players demand apology over alleged white power symbol. I'm going to read you from the article on New York Post. Remember, this did not make our newsletter because it's at the very bottom of the list. And this is a story that has been around for maybe three or four days before we actually posted it. Oh, we, by the way, we posted it on Thursday the 29th. So we posted it late, so it might have gotten more traction if it were posted a few days earlier. But we were waiting for some developments, and we got developments, and that's when we finally posted the story. Here's what the New York Post posted on that day. Former show contestants are requesting an apology for a Jeopardy winner allegedly flashed a gesture that has become associated with certain hate groups. A group of former show participants penned an open letter published on Medium on Wednesday condemning incidents on the game show. 
the, quote, more widely felt, unquote, of the two missteps occurred on Tuesday when Donahue held his thumb and forefinger together with an other with his other three fingers extended and palm facing inward as he tapped his chest. That's a quote. Donahue has since emphasized that he was merely indicating that he won three games, noting that he had gestured with the one finger and two fingers to indicate his previous wins. Letter writers, however, claim that the specific way he chose to indicate the number three was extremely similar to the gesture, quote, co-opted by white power groups, alt-right groups, and anti-government groups that call itself the three percenters, unquote, and thus should be censored and not made to broad- and not made to broadcast. The second and lesser of missteps later details happened on Monday when, quote, Kelly responded to a clue with a term for the Roma that is considered a slur, unquote. In light of two missteps, the former contestants are asking for, quote, a statement of disinvolvement of both this week's events and to see Jeopardy address Donahue's behavior. Representatives for Jeopardy's did not immediately return the post request for comment. And the Donahue in particular is Kelly Donahue. When we clipped this article and trimmed it up, we missed the fact that we didn't have his full name in there. So apologies for that. Uh, but this was a story that. It's a big deal and was all over various different sorts of media. But as we say, when we talk about this stuff, it's not so much about the Chiron stories, the stories that are all over every place. It's some of the ones that are getting missed that you say are the most conversational. This one apparently wasn't as conversational as I thought it was. I was, like I said, waiting for it to get a good update. So we had more details on what was going on, waiting for Kelly Donahue to basically say something about this. And by the time he did and by the time we posted it. You guys apparently didn't care, but we are glad you cared about everything else here and glad you care to listen to the full podcast. We appreciate all the new members coming in this week. Anyone that is new, you can email us and tell us what you think about what's going on. Apologies for having just a bad sort of talking day today. Apparently this Saturday um, talking isn't isn't my my strong point. So maybe next week will be a little bit better. But next week, we are also working for another program, another show, another edition to give you the top 10 stories that you said were the tops, not what Wolf Blitzer says, not what Ari Melber says, not even what Maria Bartiromo says. Although what she says apparently has a lot, a lot to do with what the real world is these days. Apparently she runs the world or something. But you run this podcast, you run the conversation project, and you tell us what stories are there. We just post a news news story, news news story, new news story every 50 minutes to our feeds and the website so that you can get involved in what stories to tell us we need to talk about. So we are doing that right now, posting all weekend long. So you will find out on Monday when you get in for the eight things to talk about newsletter, what stories survived the weekend as most conversational and the ones that you think will probably make it towards the end of the weekend. At the end of the week, we'll tell you exactly what they are. The top 10 stories per you. You ones tell us what to talk about. That's what we're talking about here on the Weekly Wrap-Up with Jacob and Payne. And for all of us here at the team at the Weekly Wrap-Up, I am the named guy, Jacob and Payne. Thank you for being here again, and we'll see what works out for next week. We're already working it, so see you next week.